I want to take you to a scene in Rocky. Anyone remember the movie Rocky, right? Really? You youngins? Okay, that's surprising to me. I like I turned 50 on Friday, okay? And I thought, I thought, I'm getting to that age where I say things that young people don't remember. Like later on, I may make a reference to different strokes. Anybody? Yeah. Go back and watch the first episode and you think, this is so inappropriate. Like, Anyways, uh, so uh, in the scenes, uh, in, in every movie of Rocky, it seems we get to the same scene. And I don't care if they did it a thousand times. Just keep showing me this scene where Rocky's in the corner and he's taking the punches. Boom. You know, hit, the body blows, the, the, the jabs, and the, that's a jab. And the roundhouse, whatever. He's taking it all. And, the, and you know, Rocky won Best Picture. I mean, a boxing movie. And five foot two, Sylvester Stallone. He's got this blood in his mouth, fake blood. And he's got the fake spit and the sweat. And then he turns his head like this. And he goes flying over. You know what I'm talking about? I just love those scenes. And he's there, and he's like, he's taking, and he's just taking a beating. And you feel like, ugh, this is not going well for Rocky. His eyes are starting. I don't know how they do that. Every time his eyes would, like, go shut, and he keep fighting. You know what I'm talking about? And he's, like, bleeding, and he's barely talking, right? All that kind of stuff. And then there's the moment. You know what I'm talking about. You can feel it already. And Rocky's like, enough is enough. I'm done taking your punches. I'm done being the doormat of your hatred, and I'm going to fight back. And Rocky starts throwing punches and landing punches. He starts throwing jabs and knocking a guy in the face. It's amazing if, you, if they were actual boxers, boxers, it would be like one punch and it'd be over. But it goes on for like three more uh, innings. That's what you call them. Rounds. <laughs> rounds. I gave up boxing long ago, like before I was born. And so... There's just that moment where you're sitting in your seat and you feel momentum shift. And you feel Rocky stealing victory from the jaws of defeat. And you know the knockout's coming. And you know the, yo, Adrian, you know, all of that's coming, right? So this morning in this entire series, I'm just going to ask you, how many punches are you going to take until you say, no. Enough is enough. And you begin to build momentum in your life that assures victory is coming. Yo, Jesus, come on, hallelujah. So that's what this series is about. Today's message is entitled, Weaker, Weaker, Stronger, Stronger. Look at your neighbor and say, weaker. Now look at your neighbor and say, Stronger. There you go. That sounds good. Are you saying it at home? Weaker, weaker, stronger, stronger. Uh, while I tell the story here, I want you to flip biblically uh, to 2 Samuel chapter 3. Okay, if you're looking for the book of Samuel, you're going to find like Samuel, Kings, and Chronicles, first and second, first and second, first and second. They're all kind of there together. Samuel's first. We want to go to 2 Samuel. We're going to land in the third chapter, the first verse. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. And Dan Rogerio or Joe Diao, winner of the Filipino Basketball League. Hello! We'll bring you a Bible. So anyone need a Bible? Come on. There's no shame in needing a Bible. I'd rather you have a Bible than to not have one. There you go. Strong young man. I honor you. Right behind you too, Dan, when you're done. Um, okay. So in 2 Samuel, we've gotten to the point of the story of God's people where Samuel is a prophet priest who is anointed kings for the people of Israel. God said, I'm your king. They're like, oh, thanks, God, but we want a human king. 
which is bad choice number one. So Samuel is told by the Lord to anoint Saul as king. Saul becomes the first king of Israel, and Saul is successful for a minute, and then he's not. He walks in disalignment with the Lord. If you read to the Bible, he did evil in the eyes of the Lord, right? And so he falls out of favor with God, and while he's still alive, God sends Samuel to anoint the next king. He says, go to, the, to Jesse's house, and there I'm going to tell you which of his sons to anoint. And Samuel anoints David as king. Well, not as king. He anoints him, but he doesn't appoint him yet because Saul is still king. And Saul will be king until he dies. Can you imagine this for Saul? Talk about a lame duck kingship, right? This is Joe Montana with Steve Young sitting on the bench. This is Brett Favre with Aaron Rodgers. These are both football references. Sorry if you don't watch football right? It's just a season, like, here is the king. I'm supposed to king, but everyone loves this new David guy, right? And Saul is filled with hatred and rage at his successor. And he spends the rest of his life on and off, highs and lows, trying to destroy David. Has many opportunities and fails. David has opportunities to destroy Saul, but says, whoa, who am I? to touch the king's anointed and appointed, uh, the Lord's anointed and appointed one. So David handles it appropriately, Saul does not. And if you read in 1 Samuel chapter 16, the moment that David is anointed as king, the spirit departs from Saul. Can I, if we just ended the message here, you never want that to happen. You want the spirit to stay, right? And Saul eventually ends up taking his own life, a tragic, terrible, horrible end to what could have been an incredible life. And then we read in 2 Samuel chapter 3, verse 1, this after Saul has already passed, the war between the house of Saul and the house of David, it continued on. It lasted a long time. Now note this, David grew stronger and stronger while the house of Saul grew weaker and weaker. And I'm here in this series to tell you, you have a choice between these two outcomes. Your house, and I'm not talking about the physical structure of your house, but your home, the place where you live and dwell, the, the place of your existence has the opportunity to gain momentum and grow stronger and stronger or to become weaker and weaker. Momentum is a thing that doesn't have this one-shot wonder of strength but continuing towards strength, stacking victories upon victories. Hmm. Saul had been in charge. He was large and in charge. He oppressed David. But David now, his house is growing and growing while Saul's is diminishing. I'm imagining in this series that something has been large and in charge in your life, whether it's now, just recently, or something that's on the horizon. And that thing wants to cause you distress, discomfort, brokenness, bondage, oppression, hell on earth, hmm. things like worry, fear, debt, relationship strife, addiction, hidden sin, self-loathing, sexual immorality, greed, gluttony, debauchery. Have I hit everybody yet? Isn't this a fun list? Like, ooh, read it again, please. That was... Hmm. I wonder what it would feel like if you got some momentum in your life and the, the house of the thing that's oppressing you got weaker and weaker and your house 
got stronger and stronger and stronger. Mm -hmm. You may be convinced that you don't know how to grow anything. Like you kill plants, fake plants. <laughs> I believe I'm going to declare over the church that every person in this room, every person watching in the line, you will grow a strong house. Let me say it again. I believe every person that's here today, everyone watching online, young and old, male and female, the rainbow of colors, every person will grow a strong house. And the people said, yeah. mm -hmm. if you have children, your children will be strong. They'll bless the Lord. Follow them all the days of their life like David did. If you have a spouse, your spouse will be unfurled in their strength to the greatness of which God has grown them. You'll be a home of refuge, a home of blessing, a home that's a light to all the other homes around it. And you may be thinking, not me. Yes, you. Your house. Again, not your physical structure. Who you are. Like, you don't know my history. I, I don't. But I know it's probably similar to mine. Not following Jesus, trying to follow Jesus, following Jesus, right? Come on, come on. Mm -hmm. So that's what this series is about. It's for you personally, but it's also for us as a church corporately. Because as we go to take the land in a few months, we want to have momentum. We want to be growing stronger and stronger from glory to glory. Yes. Say glory. glory. Yes. Woo. Come on. So once you get a win and you start stacking wins, that's when you've actually achieved momentum. And that's when the narrative changes. And I don't mean some White House press briefing spin of the narrative. I mean actually achieving wins, sustained wins, consistent wins. The stock market looks like this, and I believe we can look like this. Yeah, there's going to be some blips, but it doesn't have to be. Does it, does it have to be? Do our children have to go through a season of sowing their wild oats? What does that even mean? I didn't even have oats growing up. So, but I believe that the Lord wants to launch us into momentum that helps us achieve dreams that have been tucked away and some that aren't even spoken yet. I believe it can happen. So as it would, I was studying for this message and my wife had found a podcast by Craig Rochelle called The Four Factors That Fuel Momentum. And what I want to share today, mixture of what he has said and a mixture of what the Lord put on my heart in regards to David. And the two of them go together so beautifully that I thought I just got to share it with you all this morning. So I uh, just want to give credit where credit is due. Some of this comes from a mighty man, Pastor Craig Rochelle, Life Church. If you haven't heard of that church, woo! They're the ones who created version, the Bible app. They want the Bible app to be in 2 million devices, 2 billion devices, excuse me. That's their goal. They're at like 567 million. Bunch of slouches. They need to get it going. So a few thoughts before we begin. Number one, momentum takes a disproportionate amount of energy at the onset. Disproportionate. If you're not familiar with the term, it just means a whole bunch here and not as much there. You ever been to Kennedy Space Center and watched them rockets launch? Mm. it's kind of like, wow. The amount of fuel and force and energy it takes to get that rocket one inch off the ground is astounding. 
And what the rocket is trying to achieve is something, this is a poetic term, I want you to memorize this term, have it as part of your spirit. The rocket is trying to achieve exit velocity. Woo! I love this term. Exit velocity. Could you use some exit velocity right now? Could you use some velocity to get out of a situation that seems hopeless? Could you use some velocity to get out of broken patterns? Could you use some velocity to get out of stinking thinking? It's a question, yes or no? (laughs) Hallelujah. It's going to take exit velocity. And to do that requires a ton of energy at the beginning. Exit velocity is the velocity necessary to escape gravitational forces of the earth. And I don't know if you ever watched a rocket launch on TV and they got that little telemetry down in the bottom right. It's telling you how fast and how high it's going and the angle, all that stuff. Anybody? You seen this? And then the, the speed is going like a little bit. You can almost count it with your eyes like 7, 58, 59, whatever. And then it hits a point where it starts like spinning. And you're like, how in the world is that thing going that fast? It's at ludicrous speed, right? <laughs> so You're welcome. And the numbers just get like crazy, crazy high. Well, what's happened is it's broken through the gravitational forces. It's no longer being pulled down by the earth. It's being shot up by the momentum that happened at the beginning. And eventually the rocket even gets to the atmosphere, beyond the atmosphere, and has engine shut off. And it's still going supremeless, supremely, <laughs> supremely fast, right? This is kind of the trajectory that we need to think of. Going to take a lot of energy at first to launch this baby and get it out, out of exit velocity, and then we begin soaring. An unlaunched rocket is a useless rocket. I am trying to, Evan. I'm trying. We have a few things that build momentum, but we also have a few things that I want to briefly mention that pull us. These are the gravitational forces working against us. Things that are known, what's safe, what's easy, and what's comfortable. Are they up there? You should be writing these down because these are the enemies of your growth. These are the enemies against strength upon strength. These are the things that make us weaker and weaker. What's known, what's safe, what's easy, what's comfortable. If you want to get something different, you got to do something different, right? So we got to find out something that's unknown, something new. We got to do something that's a little bit risky. And when I say risky, I don't mean stupid. Just like, okay, I'm just going to, I'm going to give this a whirl. I'm going to do it. I'm tired. I'm just going to go, right? And uh, what's easy? If it was easy, you already done do it, right? Easy does it. No, hard does it. Yeah. <clears throat> hard does it. And then what's comfortable? This is going to be uncomfortable for a while. For a while. But we're going to talk about how to help you with that. So here's the last thought before we list these four factors that fuel momentum. Um, I want you to think right now, and maybe you speak to the Spirit of God. What is one area of your life where you could use some momentum today? One thing, like we could talk about this and it'd be a nice little thing. You go home, never remember it. But if you actually start applying it to one area of your life as you sit hearing this, then you're going to walk out of here with some momentum. Relationships. Anyone got daddy issues? (laughs) I'm not joking. (laughs) Finances. Bidenomics, gotten anybody? No comments? 
just saying it, just saying a word. Sin, physical health. Come on, I need some momentum there. I've been eating way too much cookie cake. Thank you, God, for cookie cake. So what is it? I just want to give you a second to think. When you have something in your mind, raise your hand so I know. When you have something online, just type, I got one. There you go. If you don't have one, somebody lean over to them and give them one. (laughs) Awesome. Here we go. Four things that fuel momentum. Number one, momentum is ignited by vision. Everyone say vision. If you lack momentum, if you're still grounded as a rocket, then most likely you are missing, lacking vision. Vision is the white hot fuel that ignites momentum. It's the thing that helps us break through exit velocity and begin soaring. Your vision must be clear, your vision must be compelling, and your vision must be consistent. The clear means that you know the what's, but more importantly, you know the why's. The why's behind the what's. That makes it clear. Last week, we gave a clear vision of what we want to do here at Illuminate Church at Advance. Thank you for being here. Thank you for your commitment to the vision. But it'd be one thing to say, hey, we're going to reach these three apartment complexes, find 300 men to go to retreat, do 20 public school, after school programs, all the things that I listed just to keep ourselves busy and make ourselves feel good about ourselves. Those are a bunch of what's. But when you say the why, we want to help people find abundant life in Jesus, it becomes clear what we're doing and compelling. What we're doing is literally eternally a life and death matter, that we care about people enough to not send them to the pit of hell far from the heart of Father, but to see them running from the, from the gates of hell into the arms of the Father, to see oppression and bondage lifted and people experiencing abundant life in Jesus. I'll, I'll do that. Sign me up, buttercup. Let's go, right? Mm. And it must be consistent. I don't know if you've ever heard this terminology, C-R-O, but as vision carrier for your own life or for people you're leading, you must be the chief reminding officer because vision leaks. Everyone gets juiced up on a Sunday, vision leaks by Monday morning, hit traffic, get to work. Right? Here I am again. You got to keep the vision in front of you. And the vision is very clear and it's compelling. Mm. Sign me up. First Samuel chapter 16, verse 12. Samuel is looking for the next king to replace Saul. He's ended up at Jesse's house and Jesse's first son is presented. And then he doesn't do, and eventually David is presented, and he's brought in, and David is glowing with health, had a fine appearance and handsome features, like many of the men, all the men here, all the men. Amen, they said. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him, David, this is the one. And it may not sound like a vision statement to you, But if David's sitting there being anointed as king, you better believe it's a vision moment for him. One day you will be king over all Israel. It's very clear. It's very compelling. And David kept it as his vision in front of him all those days. Because if Saul attacked him, he could have lost his mind many, many times. He could have thrown down his coming crown and done things immorally 
evil in the eyes of the Lord, just as Saul had done. But he stayed faithful to God, didn't hurt Saul, kept the vision in mind. And therefore, later in the story, we hear he's growing and growing. Momentum is hitting him. Momentum is ignited by vision. You need vision for the area of your life that you want to see momentum in. Maybe you've never had vision before. You just have a, like, I, I, I have this thing I want to do. Like, get a vision for it. What are the what's? What are the why's? And put them in front of your face all the time. That's why I say to you all the time, we're helping people find abundant life in Jesus. That's our vision. That's what we're doing. That's what we're, that's what we're doing. Okay, momentum is ignited by vision, and also it is activated by faith. Everyone say faith. faith. Nice job. You have to believe that what you are doing is both imperative and it's possible. It must be done. It has to be done. And, good news, it can be done. I once saw Pastor Craig share at Gateway Conference, the only time I've seen him live in person, and he said, you know, I challenge our teams to not have BHAGs. You ever heard of a BHAG? Big, hairy, audacious goal. I'm thinking, Pastor Craig doesn't want his team to have BHAGs. I mean, they've got version. They've got, like, campuses all over the world. Hundreds of thousands attend their to- You don't have BHAGs? He said, no, BHAGs rarely happen. And when you try to attempt a BHAG and don't succeed, you end up worse than when you began. Because I reached for the stars, didn't reach them. Now I'm falling this way, right? Any? I just feel like failure. I lost. So he said, instead, we go for S-bags. Anyone ever heard of an S-bag? Stretching but achievable goal. Ooh. Like it's still going to take something out of me, but I know I'm going to make it. So it's imperative, but it's also possible. Like if you're laying on a couch, you don't think, I'm going to go climb the top of Everest. I've been laying on this couch for six months. but I'm... No, you think, I'm going to climb to the top of the stairs. <laughs> That's an S-bag. It's stretching me but achievable. And then once I climb to the top of the stairs, I can climb to the top of a hill in Florida. Then I can climb to the top of a mountain in Tennessee. And then I might climb Everest. But I don't go from here to there because I'm pretty sure I'm going to fail. But I can do this. Make your vision imperative. I got to do it. But also possible. Amen? You have two choices when it comes to faith. You can have excuses, which is a lack of faith. Or you can have reasons. This is why. This is what I'm doing. I'm all in. It's like a trust fall, right? I did a trust fall off that wall once. Were you guys here that day? Yep, gave me a concussion. When they caught me, but it still hurt. Anyway, nobody cares. (laughs) Are you all in for the vision that God is giving you in this area of your life? Last week when we set forth the vision, hundreds of you came forward and we together right here said, yes, God, amen. You can count on me. When you say amen, it literally means to stake your life to it. That's why all of God's promises are yes and amen. He has staked his word, his life behind his promises. You can count on him. Romans chapter 12, we just spent a whole summer in it. To offer ourselves as living sacrifices to whatever it is that God has set before us as a church and you personally with the issue that you're meditating through here today. Psalm chapter 132 We read about David. He says this. He has a vision from the Lord to build the Lord's house, the temple of God. If you go with us to Israel in 2025, you can see this. 
with your own eyes. I will not enter my house or go to my bed. I will allow no sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids. It's imperative till I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling for the mighty one of Jacob. We heard it in Ephrathoth. We came upon it in the fields of Jair. Let us go to his dwelling place. Let us worship at his footstool, saying, Arise, Lord, and come to your resting place, you and the ark of your might. May your priests be clothed with your righteousness. May your faithful people sing with joy. He has the vision. He sees the fruition of the vision. People in the temple courts singing with joy. My prayer for you is that the vision that the Lord is putting in front of you for your area of life will end like this. You'll be singing for joy over what's happening in your life as you grow stronger and stronger. Go ahead. If you're going to clap, just clap all the way. <laughs> mm. So momentum is ignited by vision, activated by faith, and it is supported by systems. Everybody's favorite. If you want a specific result, you need to build or borrow or utilize an intentional system to accomplish that result. Vision without a process or a system is a wish. It's something you do on birthdays and over at Disney World. It's fairy tale land, right? It ain't happening without a system, without a process. You're fooling yourself if you say, I want to do this, but never make a system to get there. Psalm 78, verse 70, he chose David, his servant, and took him from the sheep pens. From tending the sheep, he brought him to be the shepherd of his people of Jacob, people Jacob of Israel, his inheritance. And David shepherded him with integrity of heart and with skillful hands, he led them. David had learned some sort of system for leadership by tending to the sheep. It sounds crazy, but he learned to tend to them. And then the Bible is saying, well, just as he attended the people, the sheep, now he is tending the people of Israel. We don't know his systems, his processes, but we know that it was highly effective to the extent that the Lord said he had integrity of heart and his hands were super skillful. Hmm. Matthew chapter 28 tells us that our job as a church is to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything just as Jesus has commanded us. It is the mandate of every church to make disciples. So I believe that every church in America wants to make disciples. But a lot of churches are not making disciples because they have vision without a process, which makes it a wish. And for so long, Illuminate Church was right there. Six or seven years of the history of our church, I can't remember exactly when it is, we went away on a retreat. The staff, we had the strategic planner, a good friend of ours, Pastor Todd Bolt there, and we were praying through what is it strategically that we need to do. And without a doubt, the most clear thing that we heard is, hey, you need a process that makes disciples. And I bristled against it. Like, I don't want a process. I want it to be organic and spirit-led, right? I'm like, well, Jesus had a process. What you talking about, Willis? There it is. Different strokes if you, yeah, okay. And then you go and read the scriptures. And you see that Jesus does have a process of bringing along people to lead them to the abundant life. And to go and make more disciples. 
And so we studied that, we prayed, we studied it some more, we researched other churches that had discipleship pathways, and we birthed one here at Illuminate Church. It's why you hear us talk all the time, last week too, meet, discover, become, lead. You say it. Now say it like you mean it, please. Thank you. Fakers. <laughs> I'm kidding. And it's amazing what's happened. Our church has gone from being a country club where we're trying to make people illuminators to where we're actually seeing people become disciples of Jesus Christ. And their entire household is changing. The structure, their DNA, their spiritual, your, my, uh, together, us, we are changing, transforming to become more like Jesus. And it's beautiful. And it's wonderful. And it's the vision. But it took a system. It took a process. I can make you this guarantee, and I don't like to make a lot of guarantees. I'll let the Lord make the guarantees. But this is all based on his word. If there's something to miss in your life, I can almost guarantee you that it's because you're missing one of the four things. Meet, discover, become, lead. One of those is off. You're not meeting with God. You're not discovering your identity. You're not becoming like Jesus would mean to lay down your life and be selfless, not egotistical and, hey, everybody serve me. What about me? What about number one? And you're leading others to do the same thing you did, which is to find life in Jesus. If you're feeling off today, apply one of those four things and give me a call and tell me it didn't work. Nobody's going to call me because it's going to work in Jesus' name. Right? All right. So momentum is ignited by vision. It's activated by faith. It's sustained by processes, systems. And here's the last one. It is sustained by grit. Supported by systems. Sustained by grit. Everyone say grit. And you got to get like teeth. Like, right. Okay. The key to most people's effectiveness, to successful people, is not their product. It's not their knowledge. It's not their skill set. It's not their desire. Their key to most people's success, and really if you probably read all these stories, like almost all of them, is resilience. Ooh, that's a good word. Resilience is the ability to bounce back. Resilience is the ability to thrive in the face of adversity. It's a mindset that you have to choose. When adversity comes, is it time to quit? Or is it time to invent, to evolve, to adapt? Are you chicken little? Are you chicken big? <laughs> if you want to develop any skill, develop the skill of showing back up. I get knocked down. You shouldn't know that song. David got knocked down many times, but he kept getting back up. He faced lots of adversities. He fought the Philistines. He fought the Gershorites and Amalekites in the second war. In the third war, the Amalekites. The fourth war was the Benjamites, a civil war. This is another tribe of Israel. The Jebusites, the Philistines, again. In the seventh war, the Philistines, again. The eighth war, the Ammonites. The ninth war, the Arameans. The tenth war, the Ammonites decided they wanted more. The eleventh war, he had a civil war with his son, Absalom. The twelfth war, Sheba. At what point are you giving up? World War II, World War III, four, five, what? Twelve wars, and David never gave up. First Samuel chapter 16, verse 7. The Lord said to Samuel, 
when Samuel was looking at Jesse's first son, the oldest son, the big, tall, rugged son, like Bob Spraker's son, right? Said, do not consider his height, for I have rejected him. He hasn't rejected you, Bob. He loves you dearly. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. The Lord looked at David's heart and saw resilience and said, that's my king. I'm sure he saw lots of other great things in there too. But he certainly saw resilience. He will not grow faint of heart. He will stick with it. He won't quit. He's going to see the vision through. Albert Einstein didn't talk until he was three years old. What a blessing. (laughs) I'm kidding. Most of his teachers thought he was lazy. And they're like, this kid, look at his hair. I mean... He was thinking of abstract things that they couldn't even fathom. He was smarter than them all. Did you know that Albert Einstein once said, I want to know God's thoughts, the rest are details? When the smartest man besides Solomon and Jesus to ever live, potentially, believes there's a supreme being, a divine being named God, just saying. Van Gogh He painted 900 paintings while he was alive. Do you know how many paintings he sold while he was alive? One. Do you think of like painting 247, his parents are like, so I know you're making blurry stars and things, but I don't know if this is working out. (laughs) Stephen King, his first book was called Carrie. Some of you might have read it or seen the movie. I do not recommend it at all. And um, he, he took it to 30 publicists, and all 30 rejected it. He got home from the 30th published, publisher and threw it, the book, in the trash can. Literally. Wife comes in for the win. She takes it back out, says, let's try again. Stephen King has sold over 400 million books now. And it was almost in the trash can. Jim Carrey, age 15, he has to drop out of school to work because his family's very poor. They live out of a van for years, Jim Carrey. But he always had the dream of being a comedian. And that kind of worked out. I mean, mean, he's kind of dumb, but you're welcome. All these jokes are cost you nothing because they're worth nothing. Uh, Ben Franklin also had to drop out of school due to finances at age 10. His parents couldn't afford school anymore, but he kept reading. Ben Franklin invented the lightning rod. Like, bifocals. He signed some important documents. (laughs) Ben Franklin, all right? I'm going to tell you a parable here to wrap up. Because I think Jesus taught in parables. Parables are, are, are stories that reveal truth. In this one, we find a woman entering the home of her mother, and she's distraught. She's at her breaking point. She's essentially telling her mom, I I just want to give up. I'm done trying. I want to quit life. Every time that I think I've solved something, two more problems come. I pay one bill, there's three more bills. I get cured of this thing, and another thing comes. Her mom just looks at her takes her into the other room, takes three pans out, fills them with water, puts them on the stove, turns them up to high heat, not saying a word. The water begins to boil. 
Mom takes some carrots and puts them in one pot. She takes a whole egg and puts it in the middle pot. And she takes some ground coffee beans and puts them in the third pot. And then mama just sits and stares at daughter. Daughter's like, what? After 20 minutes, she turns off the burners. She slides them off. She takes the carrots out and ladles them into a bowl. She takes the egg out and ladles it into another bowl. And she takes out the coffee beans, or not the coffee beans, she takes out coffee and ladles it into the third bowl. She says to her daughter, what do you see? And daughter says, carrots, egg, coffee. She's like, no, 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 no. Come closer. Daughter comes closer and she hands her the bowl of carrots and the daughter picks them up and she can tell the carrots are now mushy. Then she she puts up the the egg bowl and she cracks open the shell and inside the egg has become a hard-boiled egg. She she puts that down and she picks up the last one and she smells the fragrance of the coffee and the aroma and she takes a little sip and it just brings joy to her. She's she's like, Mama, what? what? What does all this mean? And she says, you know, daughter, all three of these objects faced the same adversity, but they all reacted differently. The eggs, I'm sorry, the carrots were hard at first, but when they faced adversity, they became weak and mushy. Chicken little. The egg, though it had been malleable and had its liquid center at first, when it went through adversity, it became hardened. And the coffee, the coffee's different than all of them. Because the coffee changed the very water that was its adversity. And she said to her daughter again, when adversity hits you, when it knocks on your door, which of these three are you? And I believe the Lord is asking you that same thing this morning through this very simple but easy to remember parable. When adversity knocks on your door, are you like the carrot, which looks strong on the outside? You're putting up appearances, man. Woo! You look, well, yeah, that guy's awesome. She's, she's got it all together. I see her on Facebook. She shows the best, hides the rest, right? Mm-hmm. And then adversity comes, and all your strength goes out of you. It's all a facade. Weak, mushy. Or maybe you're like the egg. Yeah, this exterior doesn't change. You look the same, but something's happening inside. You go through a breakup. There's been a death in the family. There's been financial hardship. There's been some sort of trial, and what used to be a malleable, changeable heart has become stiff, bitter, hardened. And then you got the coffee bean. And the coffee bean has this characteristic that says when adversity hits, that's when you see my best. When adversity hits, the adversity doesn't change me, I change the adversity. And it might seem like a strange sentence, but I wanna say this, I hope all of you are coffee beans. That's the point of this series, that you would have the kind of momentum that no matter what may come, you keep stacking wins over and over and over again. And the devil, his blows, they have no force. His bite has no teeth because you shine in the darkness. 
you thrive in those moments. One last story of resilience. There's this man, uh, you might know this story. He, he was working for the Kansas City Star newspaper and they told him he wasn't creative enough, so they fired him. So then he started a cartoon company called Laugh-O-Gram and he ran it into bankruptcy. But thank goodness, Walt Disney did not quit. And I know there's some social political things and immoral things that we can kind of get our heads down into, but just thinking of the original intent to bring joy to families, to people, the wonder, the creativity, all of that greatness, we would have missed it if Walt didn't have vision, if Walt didn't have faith. I'm sure he had some sort of process. There's a lot of things being built. And certainly I grit. I don't want anyone here to miss the greatness that's hiding in you. Just need some momentum. You just need some exit velocity. Amen? Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we're believing that you brought us here today because you want to give us that freedom to soar, to thrive. We know it's going to take some energy to expend some power, some resource, and we are willing, God, that's why we're here today, to be launched into the next season of our life. Victory upon victory in the name of Jesus. If that's you here today, you're like, I'm ready. Launch me, Lord. I'm going to count to three. I just want you to shoot up out of your seat. Stand right where you are. You don't have to go anywhere else. But let's make it real. One, two, three. If you're at home, you can shoot up too. There's people shooting up all around the house. <coughs> Excuse me. Father, I just want to pray for these people who are standing now. God, I pray your revelation would pour out like a waterfall in them. That I have no doubt this is what you are calling them to do. This is the vision. This is the what and the why. And Lord, because it comes from you, we'll have faith. Lord, open up our eyes to systems that work around us. And God, give us the grit of Jesus. I remember when he had to turn to Israel, to, uh, to Jerusalem, to walk towards his ex execution, the Bible records that he set his face like flint. He would not be deterred from his mission. I'm so grateful that he followed through. Lord, we pray for the follow-through, Jesus, to fall upon us now. We bless you, God. We say thank you for the victory. And we pray it in our Savior's name. Amen, amen, amen. God bless you, love you.